Father, we thank you for today. Father, you are in heaven, and you've sent us your Holy Spirit to be with us today, and we are excited to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Help us to remember all the good things that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start, I'd like to start today with asking you a question, just an open-ended rhetorical question. What are you looking forward to? Good things, not bad things. What are you looking forward to? It could be a small thing. It could be a big thing. It could be an in-between thing. It could be something as small as, I'm just looking forward to lunch because you're hungry. Or I'm looking forward to a nap because, like me, I didn't get much sleep last night because I'm so excited for today. So I'm looking forward to lunch and a nap, actually. Uh, Maybe you're looking forward to your big summer vacation that you haven't done yet. Or maybe you already have, and now it's time to actually plan the next one so you can look forward to the next thing. Or maybe you're younger and you're looking forward to get those braces off. And you could do that final, you know that, if if you had braces, you know about this, right? They put the tongue across the teeth, and man, that feels good. That feels so good, and you're looking forward to that. Or maybe you're looking forward to go back to school, those that like school, because maybe you want to learn something, or maybe it's just your friends you miss. You could be looking forward to that. Maybe you're looking forward to get married or looking forward to have a baby, or maybe you're looking forward to a new job that you're going to start, or maybe you're looking forward to the end your current job and retiring, right, uh, depending on how much you like your job. Or, or maybe you're about to move either to a new apartment or a new house. Hopefully you're staying in the Hillsborough area so you can keep coming to 26 West. But if you do move out of state, please come tell one of the pastors or elders just so we know that, you know, where you went because every once in a while people just disappear. You wonder where they went. Um, So the question for today is what are you looking forward to? And obviously it's church. We're in our Bibles. Uh, Does the Bible say anything about looking forward to something? And the answer is yes. In 2 Peter chapter 3, if you're there, look down to verse 13. We're going to just jump in in the middle, which is always dangerous. But Peter's talking about the day Jesus will return, the day Jesus will come back. And in verse 13, he says this, 2 Peter 3 verse 13. But in keeping with his, God's promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is God dwells. Peter says that this is a promise of God. God says, I promise you when Jesus comes back, when Jesus returns, sometimes in the future, he's going to bring and make a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this is exciting news. This is something to look forward to because you're going to be able to partake in this. This is the place that God has made or is going to make for followers of him. So I wanted to change up that question just a little bit for our discussion today. Instead of just what are you looking forward to, let's ask it this way. What about the new heaven and the new earth that Peter talks about gets us excited? What about the new heaven and new earth gets us excited? Now, for some of you, these, this is a whole new phrase. You've not heard it. So this message for you today is going to be new stuff. And it's, I'm particularly excited for you because it's going to be a new concept. And I think you're going to leave here totally jazzed. But to answer that question, we have to do a little bit of background work to really answer it correctly. So for you note takers, I'm going to try to make this easy for you today. I'm going to give you four terms that I'm going to define. And then I'm going to give you four key points as we go. And here are the four terms we're going to find as we go. The first one is heaven. The second one is earth. 
The third one is kind of a, almost an old school word for most of us, temple. We're going to talk about what temple means. And then definitely for some of you, this fourth term we're going to define is the New Jerusalem. What's that all about? And we're going to get that to that in about 15 minutes but at the end of our time together here. But let's start with that first word, heaven. What does heaven mean? Interestingly, all of us came in here today with a preconceived notion of what is heaven. And one of the things I want to do today is help us look at a biblical definition of heaven. So we have our minds oriented to what does heaven mean? Because in our culture, we use the heaven to talk about all sorts of things. Like, man, you could have a pizza that was so good and you say, oh, that was heaven. That's not the biblical answer. Uh, <laughs> So we're going to talk about the biblical answer. And one of the things I find fascinating is in my NIV translation, I just did a quick word search, heaven shows up over 600 times in the Bible. So it's talked about just a little bit. And I thought what we could do is just look up all 600 verses. Uh, But you wouldn't look forward to that, right? So instead, we're going to use uh, the summary, simple definition from our friends at the Bible Project. And this is their definition. It's super, super simple. It's this. Heaven is God's space. Heaven is God's space. And it's important to know that every time the Bible talks about heaven, it's a present reality. It's real. It's not this imaginative thing out there. And it's a real thing. Heaven is God's space. But we can't see it. So the Bible uses imagery and visions to describe heaven. And some of them are absolutely fascinating. And we're going to get into some of those today. Now, if, if you're like a lot of folks, myself included sometimes, you tend to think of heaven as the place I'm going to die, go to when I die. Heaven's just the place I'm going to go to when I die. And the problem with that is it kind of makes heaven like a Christian retirement home. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, a lot of the retirement homes I've been into, they're not very exciting. I'm not going to look forward to that. Uh, so heaven's actually much more than a Christian retirement home. So I said I was going to have four key points. Here's the first one. Key point number one. When Jesus returns, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And maybe that's a new idea for you, and that's okay. Like I said, you're going to be uh, hopefully particularly excited after today. And when we think of heaven, we need to think about how heaven is actually going to change in the future. Now, I want to get really open and transparent to you and just, just kind of jump away from my notes, which is super dangerous. Uh, but I'm going to do that because I got to tell you, I'm more excited about talking about this than just about anything I've ever talked about. But my week was kind of a wreck because we have a sermon notes review team. And I kept on getting all these inputs and what to say and what not to say. And I'm like, ah, how do, how do, you, how do you explain this in four hours? I mean, 40 minutes. How, how do you do this? Um, so I want to tell you just a quick summary of what I think is going to happen to you and me if we're following Jesus, if we've placed our faith in him. It's this. I'm going to die someday. And when I die, my body goes into the ground. My spirit goes to heaven to be with Jesus. And then sometime in the future, Jesus comes back. My body is resurrected and I'll get a new body and I'll live eternally with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. Anybody excited about that? 
I mean, now for some of you going, whoa, wait a second. There's, so, so it's going to change? Things are going to change? Yes, they're going to change. So we need to expand our mind from just when I die, I'm going I'm to go to heaven. Now, for you and me, my whole life going to church, I heard a lot of these very familiar passages. You've probably heard some of these about heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, We would rather be away from these early bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Or the old translation is absent from the body, present with the Lord. You've probably heard that. Or Luke 23 with Jesus. He's on the cross with the thief, the thief and the thief's going to die. But he's placed his faith in Jesus. And what does Jesus tell him? Today, today you will be with me in paradise. And paradise was a way of saying heaven. Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in, in heaven. But his body goes to the grave and his spirit goes to heaven. And we have that to look forward to. But friends, I'm telling you, this is what I'm so excited about. That's not the complete story. That's not the end of how we live with the Lord. That's just kind of a pause point to the real exciting end. And that's what this key point number one is about. When Jesus returns, we're going to get new bodies, which the Bible calls resurrection. And then we're going to spend eternity with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. So today, for the rest of our time, we're going to not talk about the heaven when we die. If I were to die today, I go to heaven. We're not going to talk about that heaven. We're going to talk about the heaven when Jesus returns. You guys, you guys tracking? You okay about that? Okay, so just a real, real quick re recap. If you have faith in Jesus, you die, you go to be with Jesus in heaven. Who knows how long? We don't know when Jesus is coming back. When he does come back, we'll get bodies and we'll spend eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. So what about earth? We defined heaven. Earth's way easier. So this is, this is a good thing, right? Earth's easy. Earth is our space. So the way Bible Project defines that is heaven is God's space, earth is our space. And, and this is simple for us because we live here, right? Um, earth's the space where we reside. We can see it, touch it. We could hear it, smell it. We could even taste earth. And we know from reading Genesis that God created earth for us. Particularly, he created the Garden of Eden for us, a place for humans to reside in our human bodies. Now, before we go on, we need to talk a little bit about the relationship between heaven, God's space, and earth, our space. And this is, this is important for us. We know from Genesis chapter 1 that heaven and earth overlap. They actually overlap. You can imagine two circles and then they slide over the top of each other. And if you want to see a picture of this, again, go to the Bible Project. Look at their theme video called Heaven and Earth and they'll explain that. But God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. So God's space and our space overlap. And then unfortunately, sin came about. And sin separated our space from God's space. Sin separated heaven from earth. And the rest of the story of the Bible is about how God's working to restore and reunite heaven and earth. And that's the exciting good news we're going to talk about today. But we need to define this third term I mentioned, temple. We've talked about God's space. We've talked about earth is our space. And this word temple in the Old Testament is a place where the presence of God resided, a type of heaven on earth, if you will. If, if you were here about three, uh, two weeks ago, when we talked about the festivals and Jesus, we talked about the Holy of Holies inside the temple, the very central 
part of it, the most sacred place was where the presence of God dwelt. The Shekinah glory of God and the Ark of the Covenant was there. And once a year, the priests went in and heaven and earth overlapped. So the Garden of Eden was when heaven and earth overlapped. And in the temple is another place where heaven and earth overlapped. And then we fast forward to Jesus and Jesus comes and he dies on the cross He's buried. He's, he rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And then a total, absolutely profound thing that I don't think any of us fully understand, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He dwells in us. And Paul, in both of his letters to the Corinthians, says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And if you know those verses, what does he say? He says our bodies are a temple. So our bodies are a temple with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Now, I've actually heard sermons, unfortunately, <laughs> that use that verse as motivation to go hit the gym. Because your body's a temple. So you should go to the gym and work out. Well, if you've heard that and done that, celebrate your healthier body, celebrate your guns. But that's not what the verse means. <laughs> what that verse means is our bodies are a temple because our bodies are where heaven and earth overlap. This is mind-blowing stuff. The Holy Spirit's in us. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit, God's space, overlaps with us in earth space. So here's the second key point to the day for you note-takers. The second key point is this. Heaven and earth overlap. They absolutely overlap. God's space and our space overlaps and the Bible uses this word temple to describe that. Our bodies are a temple, not because we've gone to the gym. Our bodies are a temple because the Holy Spirit resides in us. The Holy Spirit's living in us and empowering us in us. Somehow, and I don't understand it, I can't explain it, somehow God himself through his spirit resides in us. And the overlap between heaven and earth that was in the temple in Jerusalem is now in us. That's just kind of wild to think about. Now, you know, though, if you are a follower of Jesus, that life's still not perfect, right? We're not fully, fully in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. We're not fully God's space. It's an overlapped God's space. So, that's the exciting part of the rest of today. We're going to talk about when we're fully in God's space and fully overlapping. So everything I've said so far is background. How are we doing on time? Good? Everybody's all right? You're still tracking? With that background of heaven, earth, and temple, now we could dive into the last two chapters in the Bible. So if you want, turn to Revelation chapter 21, first three verses, Revelation chapter 21. Hopefully they're on the screen and we're going to learn about the new heaven and the new earth. And here is where we talk about the fourth term that I mentioned, the new Jerusalem. See, because when we read about the new heaven and the new earth, there's a very special holy city. Holy means set apart. There's a very special holy city called the new Jerusalem. And we're going to read about that right now. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21, Revelation. I, everybody says Revelations, and I do it too. It's actually a mistake. Some people get all crazy about it. So if I say it, I apologize, but it's Revelation, not Revelations, uh, whatever. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. 
Verse one, then I saw, quote, a new heaven and a new earth, unquote. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So something's changing here. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. By the way, whenever you read in your Bible, I heard a loud voice from the throne. That's a good time to slow down and pay attention because it's a loud voice from the throne. Uh, And it says, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself, not a surrogate, God himself will be with them and be their God. This is our hope of the future. This is our hope of the new heaven and new earth. Now, there's a lot of cool things going on here, and I'm just going to point out a couple of them. But what's happening here is this is the end of the story. This is the last two chapters in the book. In the book. And it's the last two chapters in the Bible. So what's happening is that the absolutely massive restoration, rescue plan by God to save us is coming to a completion. And a couple verses later, God says, I am making everything new. And we need to not think brand new, but renewed. And John says here in these verses, there's no longer any sea. Well, in the first century, the sea represented evil. So what he's saying is in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, there's no longer any evil. It doesn't mean there's not going to be oceans and seas. I think they're going to be really all over the place. And it's God's renewed creation, and it includes a new city a new holy city, the new Jerusalem. And notice that it comes down out of heaven and it actually is on earth. And that's where we're going to spend eternity. So there's a couple things just to notice about these verses because this is important before we jump in to the rest of this. Is First, it comes down out of heaven on earth. Second, the new Jerusalem is described as a bride, isn't it? It's a bride and that's a metaphor for the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's us. We are the bride of Christ, which means we, follower of Jesus, are the residents of the new Jerusalem. That's where you're going to live for all eternity. And third, and this is the most exciting part to me, God will dwell among his people in a full and complete way because sin's going to be gone. There will be no more sea and the great plan of redemption is completed. So the third key point today for your note takers is this. The new Jerusalem represents the marriage of heaven and earth when Jesus returns. It's not just an overlap. It's a complete union. It's like one flesh, one thing. It's a marriage, heaven and earth completely together. That's mind-boggling for sure. And then what happens in the rest of uh, 21 and into 22, we get this description of the new Jerusalem. It's interesting to me that when we, the Bible talks about the new heaven and the new earth, almost all the verses and all the descriptions actually about the new Jerusalem. It's about the city of the new Jerusalem. So what we're going to do is just going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to read all those because we don't have time, but I'm just going to go down and point out a couple things about uh, this, these verses in a description of this city. And one of the reasons I want to do this today is because we just finished Daniel. How many were here for the Daniel series? Just about everybody. Good. And remember, Jose did a phenomenal job talking about apocalyptic literature and how you read that a little bit differently. This is apocalyptic literature. Literature. John is getting a vision from an angel. So we have to read this like apocalyptic literature, just like the second half 
of Daniel. So as we do, there's two kind of big giant points about the New Jerusalem as we read about it. The first one is this. The New Jerusalem is a new holy of holies. And I'll explain that. But the New Jerusalem is the new holy of holies. So we don't have a structural temple anymore. That was gone when Jesus came back and we got the Holy Spirit. But in the future, uh, we're going to have this new holy of holies called the city of the New Jerusalem. So John's first century readers, they would have been very, very familiar with the Holy of Holies, very familiar with it. So a lot of this, this apocalyptic literature visionary stuff kind of refers to that. So I'm just going to go through pretty quickly. Verse 9 says that the New Jerusalem is the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and the Lamb is Jesus. So the New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. We talked about that already. Verse 11, the New Jerusalem shines with the glory of God, just like the Holy of Holies in the temple was the place where the glory of God was. The New Jerusalem shines with the glory of God. It has 12 gates and the 12 gates actually are made of a single giant pearl. Now, I don't know about you, but the biggest pearl I've ever seen is about the size of a marble. And a pearl the size of a gate, I mean, we always hear these jokes about, you know, the pearly gates, enter heaven with the pearly gates. But have you ever stopped and think about it? What kind of creature creates a pearl the size of a gate? I mean... I'm not sure I want to see that thing, but that's a gigantic pearl. And what the point is, is in the first century, pearls were extremely valuable, extremely valuable. And that's what's going on here is in this vision, John's found out that this is a valued city. This is an extremely valuable city. The angel measured the city. By the way, I find this kind of humorous. It says in the verses that the, the angel measured the city with a golden rod. Now, I have, I have a lot of tape measure and measuring things in my garage. None of them are made out of gold. I mean, like none of them. The angel uses a golden measuring stick. I mean, what kind of place is this? And he measures the city, and it says it's 12,000 stadia, which is old, old First Testament way of measuring thing. And it's a cube. And a stadia, by the way, 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles. So, yeah, What? Yeah, so is the, here's a test question. Is the New Jerusalem little or big? It's huge. The Holy of Holies was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. The New Jerusalem is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. It's gigantic. It's absolutely mind-boggling how big this city is. And that would play to the first century mind. Like, there is no city this big. And just like the Holy of Holies was a cube, this is a cube. And first century readers go, ding, 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 ding. I see what's going on here. Verse 18, it's made out of pure gold. Not the cheap gold, the good gold, the pure gold. It signifies purity and value. There's 12 precious stones around the foundation. You could read about those. And most folks think there's some kind of a tie to the stones on the breastplate of the high priest who went into the Holy Holies. The glory of God in verse 23 lights up the city. And the lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. Verse 25, the gate will, will never shut because evil can't enter the city. In the, city in, the, in the New Testament time, in the Old Testament time, gates were meant to close at night when evil came in. There's not going to be any evil in this city. There's not going to be any night. It's just all shiny with God's glory, so we don't need to close the gate. Verse 27, everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will be in the city, meaning the followers of Jesus will be the ones who live there. 
If you follow Jesus today, this is where you are going to live. It's going to be amazing. And I skipped over verse 22 as we ran through that real quickly because this is the verse that really nails home the idea of that the new Jerusalem is the holy of holies. It says this. John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus, are its temple. Instead of having this giant city with a temple in the center, the entire city is the temple of the Lord. The entire city is where the Lord is going to reside with us. There's no temple in the city because the entire city is the temple. So this is more than an overlap of heaven and earth. This is a full marriage of heaven and earth. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray, he said this. He says, uh, on earth, uh, pray that uh, the God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that? This is the full consummation of that. God's will being done on earth in the city as it is in heaven. With the creation of this new Jerusalem, that prayer is fully answered. So now I'll ask you again, are you looking forward to living in the new Jerusalem? Absolutely, yeah. But uh, not to sound like an infomercial, but it gets even better. For another 1995, you, there's more. <laughs> There actually is, starting in chapter 22. We get more imagery, and in, in, in chapter 22 of Revelation says the new Jerusalem is like a new Garden of Eden. The new Jerusalem is the Garden of Eden restored. It's where God will once again dwell with his people. Just a couple things real briefly in chapter 22 that, that lead us to the conclusion about the Garden of Eden. Verse 1 says, the river of the water of life, that should make us think a little bit about the Garden of Eden. Flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. In verse 2, on each side of the river stands the tree of life. Remember the tree of life in the Garden of Eden? But again, there's changes going on. This tree of life bears 12 fruits. And the leaves of the tree bring healing to the nations because the nations need to be healed. And when we go to the New Jerusalem, we're healed Oh, man, I'm looking forward to that. And the 12 fruits, some of you, ah, uh, fruit of the month club. I didn't like that. I promise you, you won't get bored of this fruit. I don't know how that works, but I promise you won't get bored. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. Verse 4, we will see God's face. We just sung about that earlier. But remember in the Old Testament, it says no one can see God's face because if you do, you'll die. But now, because of the marriage of heaven and earth, we can see God's face and live and live for all eternity. And then verse 5, in some sense, in some way, we're going to reign forever as Christ's servants. So I ask you again, are you looking forward to living in the new Jerusalem? I mean, man, could it, could it be more mind-blowing? I don't no, and, and I know what some of you are thinking, going, yeah, but this is imagery. What's it actually going to be like? And I think that too, and I think it's good to daydream about that and meditate on that. And hopefully our answers come up with not weird stuff, but stuff that's rooted in the Bible. But here's key point number four, the last one for the day for the note takers. This is important. This is really important because we tend to think of heaven as the absence of sin, and it is, but here's the key point number four. Life in the new Jerusalem will be more than life without sin. It'll be the abundant life in Jesus. When Jesus said, I come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly, this is where it's going to fully happen because we'll, all of a sudden everything will make sense. 
Everything that doesn't make sense in your world right now will all of a sudden make sense. I'm going to give you a couple quotes from a couple people that have really studied this just to help you uh, kind of whet your appetite a little bit, will, uh, if you will, about what life is going to be like in the New Jerusalem. Because it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be boring at all. In Nancy Guthrie's book titled Even Better Than Eden, intriguing title, isn't it? This is her description of life in the New Jerusalem. She says this, never-ending wealth of things to do and never-ending revelation uh, of God's beauty and perfection. Randy Alcorn, in his book on heaven, which came out oh, maybe 15 years ago now, um, he says that the new Jerusalem will retain all the good things of earth as we know it, but they'll be new and improved. Life will be dynamic. It'll be innovative. It'll be purposeful. It'll be fascinating. It'll be changing. We'll have art. We'll have culture. We'll have progress. We'll spend eternity in the unending beauty of the Lord, and we'll have adventure. And Randy Alcorn says, I think we'll also have coffee. <laughs> he actually does. He spends a whole page in his big textbook explaining why he thinks there's going to be coffee in heaven. And I don't know if he's right, but I just want to say amen. <laughs> so, it's important as we go to, you know, what, how, what do we do with this, okay? For some of you, this was brand new. I've never heard of the new heaven and the new earth, and I've definitely not heard of the new Jerusalem. But this is all in the Bible. By the way, I want to tell you that nothing I've said today is really debated or controversial. This, this is kind of agreed upon by almost everybody that studies it. But for some reason, we don't talk about it that much in the American church. And uh, this teaches, as I said, there was a lot of input. And, and for all of you that, that, are, that are here today that had a lot of input on, on this teaching, thank you. But I want to share a conversation uh, that I had with Scotty Ballard. Where's Scotty? It's right down here. Scott Ballard and I were talking yesterday. And, and as I was praying about this, I went, why is it that we don't talk about this like all the time. You would think we'd be almost obsessed with the New Jerusalem, right? Why don't, because it's where we're gonna live for all eternity. Why is that? And Scotty said something that, that I think is worth repeating to you, obviously, or I wouldn't be saying it, right? So <laughs> Scott says that, he goes, I think what happens in our Christian walk is that our doubt trumps our faith. And so what I wanna do today is try to flip that over and have our faith trump our doubts. The other thing, as we talked about this, we realized that, you know, we have struggles. You, many of you came here today with big, real struggles. We have them in our family. You have them in your families. And these struggles play front and center. And it's part of the human condition that we look at what's right in front of us. So one of the other things that Scott and I talked about were that in the Christian life, we have to beware of our present struggles trumping our future hope. So we want to flip that around today. Because of the promise of God himself about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, we want to flip that to where our future hope trumps our current struggles. Does that make sense? That's what we want to do today. How does the reality of what God has promised change our lives Today, what actually matters in the light of what we've learned? Uh, we began today reading out of 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to go back there and continue and read one more verse. So I'm going to reread chapter uh, 3, verse 13, and also read chapter 
uh, verse 14, sorry. So 2 Peter 13 and 14. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. And hopefully now you have a better understanding of what that actually looks like. But here's what Peter says. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, he assumes we are because who wouldn't, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Peter tells us to look forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And from John's vision and revelation, that includes looking forward to the new Jerusalem. But notice the way Peter thinks. Notice his logic pattern. He says, since we are looking forward to this, in the future, make every effort today in the present to be spotless and blameless. And that's obviously referring to moral purity. That's how we're to live today as followers of Jesus. Now, we are going to sin, and when we do, we confess, but our, our effort is to be morally pure and to be at peace with Jesus. Well, what's that about? A peace with Jesus only comes from a faith in Jesus. So that's what we want to do. So how do we apply that today, church? Well, we share the good news of Jesus Christ in every way we possibly can. And hopefully now our discussions will continue to move forward to the new heaven, the new earth. So we do things like good news today, this giant outreach coming up in three weeks. And I would just encourage you again, if you are inspired by what you heard from the message today, one practical way you can actually do something is go sign up to help and be part of this thing. Do you know that in three weeks, there are people that are currently destined to eternal damnation are gonna change their destiny to the eternal heaven? That's gonna happen in three weeks, three weeks. And it's not because of anything we do, it's because of what Jesus does. And we wanna just create an environment and space where the harvest is huge. But we could also do little things, little things, because not only do we do a big event like Good News Today, but we also give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Before we continue in a time of worship and ask the band to kind of make their way forward, I'm going I'm to read you a quote uh, from a book called Surprised by Hope. It's by N.T. Wright, so it's a long quote. Because uh, N.T. Wright, I mean, he's a brilliant guy, but man, he's wordy and his books are challenging for me because there's a lot of words in his books. Uh, but I think this quote's worth reading. Hopefully it'll be up on the slide it is so you can, you can follow with me. And this is in the context of how do we give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus today? What does that really look like? Here's N.T. Wright, a very brilliant man, saying how he thinks we do this. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute, spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk every act of care and nurture of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter one's fellow non-human creatures and of course every prayer all spirit-led teaching every deed that spreads the gospel builds up the church embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption and makes the name of jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last 
all the way to God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. Wow, yeah, I agree with that. Wow, man. As we go to worship and think about the next coming weeks and what we're looking forward to, I would encourage you to go ahead and daydream. Go ahead and imagine. Read Revelation 21 and 22. Try to picture yourself there and then ask yourself, how does that change my life today? And hopefully you'll find yourself back in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, where Peter says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you that despite us sinning against you, you would send Jesus to save us and then send Jesus back with this incredible news of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And we get to spend eternity with you in this place. May we live this week spotless, blameless, and at peace with you. In Jesus' name.